filming for change. We, we thought as a first question would be nice for you to imagine how a world could look like if everybody was macrobiotic. Oh, that's a nice question actually. So how the world would look like if everyone was macrobiotics, okay? That would be very nice actually. And I, I, I think in an absolute way, never everyone will be macrobiotics. Even, even though I work as a macrobiotic teacher, and that's my aim, of course, um, I would be very, very happy if there are very big changes happening in the world, like reducing the amount of processed and chemicalized food and reducing the amount of uh, animal food and particularly meat consumption and uh, reducing the amount of sugar. If those changes will happen, first of all, many of the modern day diseases will just, I wouldn't say they will vanish, but they will decrease seriously heart disease, cancer, um, obesity, allergies, uh, many of those problems, uh, diabetes, many of those problems that are uh, linked in a very intimate way to diet. I mean, they, they will not disappear completely, but they will reduce seriously. With, and with that, we will save millions and millions of euros, millions and millions of dollars, just because people will be less sick. Maybe more important, Basti, is the fact that with the present environmental problems, if people will change their diet, and I'm just talking out of, I'm talking about macrobiotics just as a diet, even though it's more than that, from an environmental point of view, we'll have tremendous changes. Basically because the main cause of modern day environmental problems is food, is the food industry. So is the food industry that's creating deforestation, is the food industry that's creating water pollution, um, lack of water from a point of view of resources, um, global warming from the point of view of methane production. There's no other activity in the world who contributes more to the devastation of the planet but food. And, and this is undeniable, okay? There's, there's no way we can deny this, yet most people don't know about it. And most people know about it, they don't care. <laughs> Just because every day we open the faucet and water comes out. And so one day we'll open the faucet, water won't come out, and then, and then we're in trouble. Then we really are in trouble. And, through, through the application of the macrobiotic principles, principles and through the application of a macrobiotic diet, we will tremendously increase both environment, health. I mean, I would say too, people would feel more, more calm and more happy and less troubled emotionally. And I don't dare to say that the main cause of emotional trouble is diet, but it plays a big role. It plays a, big, a really big role. We would probably have, I, I believe a better, a better consciousness about life, a better, uh, we would deal with one, another, with one another much better, we would deal with the planet much better. I, th I think life would be much, much better if people would take into themselves the, the macrobiotic principles. I don't mean they would need to be, let's say, macrobiotics on the way I see it, on the way I practice, or I try to practice, but just by applying some of the principles, I think the change will be amazing, really amazing. Nice. And what is the, the chemical effect of the macrobiotic food? On the, if, if you eat macrobiotic in a small state or in a big state, what, what is the change? In the there are, physically, there are many, many changes. On, 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 um, on the most basic ones, one first digestion becomes much, much better. Once we stop eating meat and sugar and, and chemicalized food, Digestion is much, much better, like um, 
let's say the, the intestinal flora gets um, rebuilt, reconstructed, we have good quality fiber. And all, all that by itself not only um, makes people feel better from a the digestive point of view, but as well immunity gets stronger. Okay. Through, through the macrobiotic diet, um, cholesterol level is generally quite low, blood pressure is low, the risk, the risk of having um, cancer reduces substantially. It's of course not a life insurance, but it reduces substantially the risk of developing many of the modern day diseases. So from what we know about diet right now, a diet, a diet predominantly based on plants, so what, what is called in America now a plant-based diet like macrobiotics, seems to be, seems to be the best approach for, for modern day disease. So on a chemical level, if you, if you want, we'll have good quality carbohydrates, we'll have uh, good quality protein coming mostly from, uh, from vegetable source. Uh, we will use more uh, poly and monounsaturated fats rather than saturated fats. So as a whole, the diet is, uh, the, the, the diet does contribute seriously for, for health. On, on, on the studies done with macrobiotic people, uh, generally it's found out that their um, cardiovascular health is much better, the risk of developing cancer is much low, uh, weight is lower, her blood pressure is lower. So all of those factors that are considered uh, danger factors tend to diminish usually with a diet, with a diet like this. This, this answers your question? Yes. Okay. <laughs> And um, how, did you, how did you meet the microbiotic way when did you decide to build an institute? I started, the, I, so I met microbiotics when I was 16, I was a kid. <laughs> I was really, really young. And, um, and basically the story is like this. I was a high school student, I was more or less vegetarian, kind of lacto-hovo vegetarian, since I was 14. And I was very much into sports, and um, I was um, a track runner and a cross-country runner, and, um, and I practiced a lot of other stuff. And I was, a, I was a student. My aim was to study medicine. And um, so when a friend of mine uh, on my team, on, on my running team, mentioned World Macrobiotics once, Fernando was his name, actually. And, um, and he mentioned that his brother, which was older than us, we were both 16 and his brother was like 22, had, uh, had heard about uh, a practice called macrobiotics and with, uh, with that practice you could heal most of modern day diseases. And the name stayed and once I found a book with macrobiotics on the cover. And this is up north, I'm from Leiria near Coimbra. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so I bought the book and um, Lots of things made a lot of sense. So at 16, I changed my diet drastically. And I went on a very strict diet. Uh, took down completely all dairy food, all sugar, all chemicalized food. Meat, I didn't eat much anyway. I think I didn't eat any then already. So I, I entered on a, this really strict diet and I felt amazingly. I felt uh, I was sleeping five hours a night, running 15 to 20 kilometers every day. And this might sound, maybe not sound so good. It seemed like I was on drugs taking brown rice, you know, I was feeling really high all the time. I felt very connected to the world and that changed completely my life. I gave up medical school. I went to America to study macrobiotics and um, I, I came back, I was not, um, almost 20. And um, since then I'm working on this. We started the Institute in 1985. 
so 30 years already, and uh, no, 40 years, 30 years, 30 years. We started the institute 30 years ago, and um, and this has been this has been my life. I haven't done anything else, Basti, since I started teaching right away, and um, that's the story. And I must say, I, I must say honestly that. I have never found anything as effective on a simple way to solve most of people's problems. Okay? And I don't want to be arrogant about it, or I don't want to say that there are no, not other ways to help people. Of course there are other ways to help people, but diet is a very basic one. And it's through diet that we connect ourselves to the environment. It's through diet that we build our bodies. We can't escape diet, you know. We always have to eat. So this is an absolute truth, we need to eat. If we don't eat, we die. So what we eat is very relevant to who we are, and it's very relevant to the, very relevant to the way we connect to the world. You know, it's through food that we directly connect to the world around us. It's, it's, the most, um, it's our most intimate relationship is with food. So food always helps. If we, if we eat well, food always helps. We might need psychotherapy, of course. We might need surgery. We might need drugs. We, we may need many other approaches to, to problems, but food is the most basic one. We should always start there. You know? um, so I've, my sincere um, conviction is that diet, diet is, uh, is crucial in every factor. And the macrobiotic diet is on my interpretation, the most, the most sound one, and most of the modern-day dietary recommendations are moving in that direction. You know, uh, they may not be macrobiotic per se, but the grains, vegetables, beans, reducing animal food, reducing dairy food is very much what's fashionable right now. So um, I think it's very important. Of course, I'm biased. <laughs> <But> <laughs> And uh, where did macrobiotic come from? First of all, macrobiotic is very much based on, um, on traditional diets. We can say that pretty much all over the world, people did not have a macrobiotic diet like we do now, but people have very much a diet that was more based on vegetable food than animal food. Even though we think that we always had a lot of animal food. That's not true, you know. A, a lot of animal food comes from after the war, 50, 60 years ago. In the past, most of the diet was mostly vegetable-based, grains, vegetables, beans, of course, yes, with some animal food. But when, you know, when we talk about a culture, there's always a grain associated with that culture. So if we talk about the Far East, we have rice. Rice is, is equivalent to Japan, China, Thailand. If we talk about Europe, we have bread. Okay. If, we have, if we talk about Northern Europe, like the, like the Russians, we have kasha, buckwheat. If we talk about the, the Mayas, the Aztecs, we have corn. We have quinoa. You know, if we talk about the Scandinavian countries, we have rye and we have buckwheat. So there's always sort of a grain associated with every culture which actually is equivalent to the culture. There will be no Japanese without rice. There will be no Europeans without bread, I think. There will be no Mayans without corn. There, because our cultures developed through eating those foods, you know. So macrobiotics itself is not 
what we do with macrobiotics now is not like the traditional Portuguese diet or the Portuguese or the traditional German diet or the traditional Japanese diet. What we use on macrobiotics is foods that were used on all these traditional diets and that are used in a, in a balanced way so uh, we can have a very varied diet. So on, on that level, macrobiotics is pretty much uh, or pretends to be pretty much a universal diet. The macrobiotic movement itself, okay, in modern times it started in Japan with a medical doctor called Sagan Ijitsuka. Uh, Ijitsuka was a medical doctor who actually studied in Germany. He developed um, incurable kidney disease and uh, of course there was no dialysis then, this was 19th century, so we will die. And through the adoption of uh, what he called the macrobiotic diet, he cured himself. And by curing himself, he, he, he completely changed his approach to health. And he, he founded the first uh, macrobiotic organization in the world called Shokuyokai. Okay. And George Ozawa, which most people know, actually George Ozawa cured himself of tuberculosis through the recommendations of Sagin Jitsuka. And then he left from Japan to France and he started promoting macrobiotics in France. This is from 19th century up to now. But in 17th century Germany, there was a doctor called Christopher von Hufland. He was the personal physician of gut, the, the writer, the poet. And um, he wrote a book called Macrobiotics, the Heart of Longevity and Rejuvenation, something like this. And it's possible that actually she, that Sagan Ijitsuka has read about Christopher von Hufland because he, he, he read German and that his approach to macrobiotics actually came from the German doctor. We're not really sure about this, but there's, there's a very strong possibility that that has happened. So we have in the seventh, seventh, 17th century, Christopher von Uflen in Germany, 17th century to a Japanese philosopher called Heken Kaibara, which is not very well known, uh, but was very, very instrumental in developing this uh, idea about natural agriculture, ecology, diet. And then 19th century, um, we have Sagini Jitsuka, late 19th century, 20th century, we have George Ozawa, and then the disciples of George Ozawa, Misho and Avalin Kushi, Herman and Cornelia Ayara, uh, Klimi Oshime, Tomyuki Kushi, I mean, to name, to name a few. So macrobiotics started out of this context in Japan, but it's not really Japanese. So we use foods that are traditionally used in Japan, but we also use sauerkraut and we also use rye bread and we also use tempeh from Indonesia. So it's the, it's the if you want, the best, of every, um, the best of every traditional in, in respect to food. That's how I see macrobiotics anyway. So it's, we have an incredible amount of variety and food is very tasty. So um, it has some roots already with the German culture. So why do you think in a country in, like Portugal, where I have the feeling that the modernization is going really fast and a lot of movement is um, against old culture. Like I had a home birth in Portugal and it was a drama, you know, people are like all about modernization. So, why is the macrobiotic movement so strong and in Germany it's almost non-existent? I don't think it's only that, I don't know, I, it's hard to say, Basti, and we've always asked that question. 
And yes, the movement in Portugal is extremely strong. We have lots of connections, uh, mainstream. Last year, we organized a big seminar with the Ministry of Health and the General Direction of Health, which for me would, would be unthinkable of even 10 years ago. And uh, to, to, to be sponsored by the government to make a, a big seminar telling people not to eat meat and dairy, it's amazing. And, 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 and yes, it's happening that way. Um, in Germany, in Germany was very strong in the past and somehow is not so strong now. And we were talking about this before. I think it's probably because there's not enough educational movement from acrobatic people. You know, I think, I think what's missing in Germany now is people who are active in education, people who, who, who give lectures, who give classes. Who, who, because I do teach a bit all over the place. And, um, I travel a lot in Europe, I travel a bit in the States, I travel in Japan, and the Germans like macrobiotics. You know, once you talk about it, um, they like the food, they like the philosophy, uh, and Germans are, are serious people, they take things seriously. So when they embrace macrobiotics, they embrace macrobiotics seriously. Um, before there was a big center in Switzerland, in uh, Kintal, in the German Swiss, and, um, and there were lots of German students then. When that center closed, I think part of the education um, spoken in Germany sort of became very low, so that's probably part of the problem, Basti. In Portugal, I think there's something else. I think the Portuguese people, even though things are becoming very modern here, they still are fairly traditional in terms of diet. You know, like we still can go out in Portugal and eat uh, rice with beans and um, and boiled greens. You know, even like even though that will come with fish or maybe will come with meat, we can have arroz de feijão e grelos. You know, so why like in Spain, which is next door, that's very difficult already. But I don't know the exact answer to that, Basti. And um, but things go in waves. You know, I remember like when. When I, started teaching, when I started studying macrobiotics and, learning and, and, and teaching macrobiotics, Northern Europe was very strong. Southern Europe was very weak. So like Germany was very strong, Holland was very strong, England was very strong, those countries were really strong. Italy was quite okay actually, Italy has always been quite okay. Br uh, Belgium was also very strong. Portugal, not so much. Spain, not so much. Italy, as I told you, more or less. Greece, hardly anything. Now Portugal is very strong. Spain is becoming quite strong. Greece is also picking up too. So now the poor countries in Europe are becoming very strong with macrobiotics and the, and the rich countries in Europe, not as much. I think it's the wave of life, you know? <laughs> it goes up, it goes, it's the yin and yang of life. So that might be actually the right answer. <laughs> um, I want to go a bit more in detail with the sugar because it was also my personal experience. Um, with alternative food and with getting a child and knowing that sugar is everywhere and um, I was really connected with the microbiotic movement because of this oh. strong idea about sugar and I learned this from Joao and uh, from talking with microbiotic people a lot. So what is the, in your idea, the exact effect of sugar and what does it do in the world? I the think effect the effect of sugar is devastating. In, in the sense that it's probably the only food who doesn't, have, who doesn't have anything positive. So we can say, yes, meat will affect your health. But meat, meat, meat has positive aspects. I mean, if you're starving, 
meat will make you uh, alive. Okay. Uh, Milk is not so good, but yes, but milk also has protein. Milk also has calcium. I mean, the, the same way meat has many nutrients which we need. They're not, we don't need to eat meat or dairy, but it will nourish us. Sugar, there's nothing. Sugar has what you call in, um, in nutrition empty calories. And, and the effect on the body is very devastating. I mean, sugar demineralizes us seriously. Like one teaspoon of sugar will raw minerals for three days in a row, which is, which is really, really bad. Sugar seriously, seriously destroys the, um, the intestinal flora. Sugar is the main cause of diabetes. Sugar is the main cause of obesity. Sugar is the main cause of tooth decay. There are many, many cancers related to sugar. Sugar, if, if you want, speaking on modern terms, seriously harms our immunity our capacity to adapt to the world. And so, I mean, I, I say this often in classes, sugar is like a legal drug, okay? We can buy it anywhere, and people think it's okay. And it, it does affect tremendously people's health. I mean, on every level, okay? On a digestive level, on a circulatory level, on every level, sugar is very, very bad. And it's interesting because macroeric people have always said that about sugar. And everyone else always thought that we were very exaggerated. And sugar is really out there now, you know. Uh, this last Easter in Portugal, uh, in prime time on SIC, which is one of the main uh, television channels, a pediatrician from one of the most important uh, hospitals in Lisbon said right on prime time that if you want, if you keep feeding children, if you want to keep, if you continue to keep children sugar like this, this will be the first generation in which the parents will see their children dying. If you, she said this on TV, okay. If you continue to give children, sugar to your children, you will see your children dying. Because children are killing, sugar are killing, is killing your children. This was prime time on Portuguese TV, which is unbelievable. You know, I was looking at it and say, oh my God. So we had plenty of telephone calls here saying, we had a doctor saying what you say. And I said, it's even stronger than what we say. <laughs> it's even stronger because, because she's saying, she's saying the parents are actually killing their children. So, and I was, I was teaching in Holland, um, not this summer, last summer. And uh, there was actually a crew, there was actually a crew of, I think, German people too, making a documentary all around the world just on sugar, which will be coming out soon, I think. So they were, they were making this film exclusively on the effects of sugar. And um, so, yes, sugar is, is very, very harmful. I mean, it's okay if you have sugar a couple of times a year. It's probably even okay if you have sugar once a month. But the amount of sugar people have is tremendous and very, very harmful. harmful and, the, and, and the general population should be aware of it. They should be aware that e eating sugar is, um, is very damaging, is devastating. And I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> so uh, yesterday we, um, we met Wow and we had a lot of interesting talks about uh, What we learn from history and in school and stuff is that people used to live shorter now because of 
medicine and da da da. It's the, it's the official view is that we live longer. Okay. But I always had the feeling this is not completely right. And Schmau said the same that it's about the, the civilization where they write the books, where they used to have problems with diseases and stuff. But yeah. actually, when you go much further back, people used to live much longer because they used kind of a macrobiotic ways. Yeah. What is your idea about this thing of life expectancy living longer, life expectancy? Okay, but about life expectancy, okay. So, in, in, the, in the Western world now, life expectancy is about 80 to 83. I don't know Germany, I know the longest is Japan, um, 83, 84. Portugal is similar, 81, 82. And statistically, if we compare with 100 years ago, yes, it's much higher. Can, Statistically speaking, 100 years ago, I don't know, maybe it was 45, 50 years old, something like it. But statistics are misleading, you know. Uh, politicians know this very well. You can, you can play with statistics in, in many different ways. And, and there's a few, there are a few points. To be honest, probably people live a little longer now, but for, for several reasons. One is that childhood mortality is much less now. Okay. Childhood mortality used to be very, very high. And from a statistic point of view, if you have someone dying with five days or one year old, life expectancy comes down enormously, statistically. Um, so yes, people live longer, statistically partially because childhood uh, diseases kill much less children, it's true. You know, many children could die during the labor. Many mothers could die during the labor, and that doesn't happen so much nowadays. Then. We had infectious diseases, and infection diseases used to kill a lot of people. Okay? And, and most people will die out of infectious diseases. And most of those diseases have disappeared because we have more hygiene. You know, lot of the lot of the diseases in the past was because there was no hygiene. You know, there was no, there was no sewage. Um, so people could die on the tens of thousands. Just like this. So again, statistically, the life expectancy will be very, 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 very low. With modern day hygiene, with modern day sanitation, with, uh, with good quality sewage, people are not dying of infectious disease so much anymore. People are dying now of heart disease, of diabetes, of cancer, of Parkinson, of multiple sclerosis. So actually, what happened, we have changed the pattern of disease. We have changed the pattern of disease from infectious disease, which is actually quite easy to, to solve, if you will, to a pattern of disease which is degenerative disease. And then modern medicine contributes to uh, make people alive for a long period of time. Uh, and uh, again, statistically, then life expecting gets higher, but a lot of people are alive through uh, abuse of medication. A lot of people are alive in really bad shape. A lot of people are alive, connected to machines. So all of that makes life expectancy higher. So probably we live a little longer. Probably we live a little better than 100 years ago. We had some trouble times in history. But if we see, as you were saying, records going really, really backwards. Like if you read the Neiching, which is the yellow emperor classic of internal medicine, is the oldest medical book known. They mention people living to 150, 180 years, okay? which, which is quite unbelievable. And we can probably live that long. Uh, 
Uh, if we compare ourselves to other animals, and, and there are some calculations you can do on this level, hypothetically, we can probably live to 150, 160 in good shape, you, you know. So, like Hekan Kaibara, the, the Japanese philosopher I was telling you about, he lived to 100 years old without using glasses, and according to the history, I'm not sure if this is absolutely true or not, with all his teeth, okay, and reading every day without glasses. So, I think we, we can live longer. I think we can live longer in good, in relatively good shape, if you will. And the, the idea of life expectancy really being very high now, I think it's very, very misleading. I mean, what's happening right now, a lot of people very young are having very serious diseases. More and more children are having cancer. More and more uh, young adults are dying with heart disease. More, more and more. Okay, so yes, in a way, life expectancy is higher. In another way, people are more sick. So, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a paradox. You know, it's a paradox. And um, I think the explanation for the paradox is maybe along these lines I was talking about, even though I'm not absolutely sure. Um, I uh, heard about you and your family a long time ago, and I met uh, one of your daughters, Margaret, Martha, and I was always really inspired by the way they, they were following your footsteps or they are following your ideas because as a parent myself I always have this idea I have very strong views on the earth but I have to transmit it to my child in a way that they don't go completely against it. Like you can see many <laughs> parents, children, relationships where they, they are, are rebellion against it and I never had this feeling with your family. I was wondering how What's your way of um, giving your knowledge to your children and your, your experiences with it? Okay, first of all, thank you for the compliment about my kids. Yes, I mean, that is true and I also feel very, I also feel very inspired by that. I'm, I'm really happy that, that everyone actually follow our steps and they always work with us. And, I don't know the enough the exact reason. We, we've, we have tried, we have tried to to give the example. Okay, I mean I, I've always been a a lot more um, radical than my wife, if you will. So I think it's probably I think she's more responsible for that than I am. You know, I I tend to be more as a father. I was a bit more. I think I'm a nice guy, but I, I think I was more, a bit more strict, you know, I, was, I think I was a bit more strict uh, in, uh, in my views. But maybe, maybe that helps, no, maybe that helps too, I don't know. I, I, I've tried to be consequent. I, I try to walk my talk, so, uh, and at home I have always walked my talk in the sense, uh, uh, I try to do in, my, in life what I preach, even though I'm a human being, I have many faults, but I try that and so does my wife. So also our kids, when they grew up, they were surrounded by crazy people like us, you know. We had people in the house all the time. They were coming from America, they were coming from Japan, or they were coming from Belgium, or they were coming from Germany, or they, could, they would sleep in the couch. They, you know, they grew up like this, you know, and then you go to summer camps in the middle of the country. So they had a kind of an interesting, um, 
childhood, you know, since they were small, um, they were very much flooded in our activity. So summer comes, we all get in the van and fill the van with, with rice and beans and, and take off to Alentejo, to Algarve, or they go and spend holiday in Hawaii, in a, in a, in a macrobiotic, in, not in Hawaii, I'm sorry, in Alaska, not Hawaii. They go, they go spend holiday in Alaska, in a macrobiotic community with other teenagers. So, so I think they were, to a certain degree, they were, they were exposed to a lot of people who were trying to make a difference in the world and to a lot of other children whose parents tried to do the same. That probably helped. That probably helped. And we were never, and we have tried never to be, let's say, too strange. You know, we, we, you've always tried to be part of the society we live in. We, they went to regular schools and uh, they had um, regular friends, in the sense friends who eat pizza and hamburger and, and all that. And we never told them not to do, not to do that, you know. So, so yeah, they, they, they've done okay. They've, they, they've done okay and uh, um, we are really happy about it. I think it's more the responsibility of my wife. I think my wife did a really good job with the kids. I really, I really think she did a really good job with the kids. She, she gave, and I was away a lot, you know, I was always traveling, I was always teaching, I would get home late, and uh, she was really always, and, and she's a really, really good cook, so I think that's part of the reason too, Basti, you know, she, she, the food was good at home, we had really good food at home all the time, and uh, we always ate, uh, we always ate together, there was like sort of sacred at home, everyone sits at the table, Everyone has to be there. Everyone has to eat. No television. No. So. So yeah, the kids did okay. Yeah, the kids did okay. I'm very happy they are around and they are helping us. I really am. And um, and thank you for the compliment. That's nice. Now you mentioned television. Um, I was also another thing that um, I. It made sense to me because I was against television. Uh, early and um, when I talk with the macrobiotics it was more it was a lot about um, how you take the food and that you are, you are energetically with the food and what what kind of effect does the television have because a lot of people nowadays eat in front of the television or the television is on all the time I think that's pretty bad actually um, I, I see I mean I, I've got nothing against television I mean you use it, I mean, there are some good things in television. I hope this documentary goes into television. <laughs> so there are, there are good, television can have good things. Uh, but modern, I mean, television is, on modern days, very much a brainwashing equipment, you know, and uh, which actually somehow, in brackets, hypnotizes people. You know, if, if we go to a restaurant and there's a television there in silence, if you take a close look, you see people's attention drifting into the television. It happens with me, you know, like I may be eating with friends, there's a television, and I go, oh boy, there's football, there's Cristiano Ronaldo playing, or whatever, you know. And so television has this um, subtle way of drifting the attention to them. I think another maybe more difficult thing to express is that a lot of what's happening in television, and particularly with the news, is actually bad news. We see a lot of criminality, corruption. Uh, I mean, m most of the news are this. When we are hitting, and even if we're not listening, but there's something there that brings um, 
violence, people dying, or even natural disasters or uh, economical crises, on a very subtle way, I think that disrupts us. You know, on, on, um, on a vibrational way, if we're eating and we're trying to be quiet and we see someone was shot, that's, that's very bad. You know, that's, even though you say, no, I'm not that sensitive and that doesn't affect, it always affects us. On an invisible way, it always affects. It's not necessarily, let's say, the, the electromagnetic frequency of the television, which, which we can consider it's a problem. It's actually the quality of the new itself, the quality of what's there, which I think does affect our spirit, which I think does affect our body. Uh, and I think that's pretty pernicious, even though it's subtle. So we should not eat seeing television. At least we should not eat seeing news or shouting on a football game or, you know, that I think affects our health if we do that. Affects our spirit if we do that. So it's okay to use television if we know how to use it. If we, we can like to see a movie and see a good movie or we can, we may want to see um, Germany against Portugal and we see Germany against, I'm not a big fan of football even though I used football. Those games I kind of like, you know, and um, or if you want to, to see a good documentary or an interview, it's okay if, if you use it. I rarely see television, but uh, I like to see it every once in a while, particularly to watch the news. And, um, but it's very disruptive to have a family heating with the television on, even with no sound. I think that affects, that affects the whole union of the family as well, because the energy gets... Um, disrupted, you know, it drifts away to the, to, the, to the device. So the idea is also a little bit to pay more attention to the food, to, to eat consciously, to chew consciously and... Um... That's very important, yeah. To eat consciously and to chew consciously is very important. When we eat, of course, eating socially is very important. So if we, if we eat social, we're also talking to our friends, we're also talking to our family. But things like um, eating sitting down is very important, chewing is very important, eating with respect for the food is very important. Uh, I mean, it, it takes a lot to have food on the plate. The amount of work necessary for us to have a meal, it's huge. I mean, it, it really, it takes farmers, it takes water, it takes transportation, it takes a lot for us to eat something simple. It's the work of hundreds and hundreds of people, so we should at least show respect for what we're eating, you know, and, 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 and to treat the food well is a way of showing respect to what we're eating and to, to everyone who contributes to bringing the food into our plate. So uh, eating is quite important, yeah. I mean, um, I try as much as possible when I eat to be respectful, and I like to eat with friends and be talking, etc. But to, to be respectful for the food, not leaving food on the plate, not um, not treating food badly, you know, I think th those things are very important. They sort of lost nowadays. Many modern-day people they don't even know where food comes from. They have no idea. They have no idea. No, they, they have no idea. You need land to grow food. You need seeds, and you need water, and you need care. They have no idea because we take it for granted. It just gets to our plate. So if somebody is inspired by our film or hears about microbiotic, what, what are the first steps they can do? Is there like a... Um, simple way of microbiotic, or is there only one way that you have to change everything? No, 
I mean, to start macrobiotics is the best way. Depends on the people. You can go gradually. You know, some people go, like me, I went full steam ahead, one day to the other. Um, and that's my style, but most people actually go gradually. So what the easiest way for people nowadays, Basti, is probably that rather than focusing on the negative, meaning like no meat, no sugar, no dairy, etc., to focus on the positive, to start heading to the diet whole cereal grains, to start heading to the diet good quality vegetables, to start heading to the diet fermented food, to start, to start eating beans, to, you know, to head up, to start head up good quality food. When we do that, we need to reduce bad quality food. Then from a, from a dietary of, from a diet point of view, if you will, cooking classes are very important. This food is extremely good if well prepared and it can be terrible if badly prepared. So I think that to learn how to cook is very important. To understand why we eat this way is very important. And everyone should follow their own rhythm. You know, macrobiotics can be something a little bit different for every person. And that's okay. And that's acceptable, you know. So, so um, I think people should start heading up, understanding why, trying the food, cooking. And then if you do it, you'll feel better. I mean, honestly speaking, I don't know anyone who has changed the diet in a, with common sense and in a balanced way that hasn't felt better. I don't know anyone. And of course, some people start and they are in really, really bad shape and they are maybe dying. And of course, sometimes they don't recover, but still they feel better. You know, they still, they have more energy, they feel more calm, they, they sleep better. So we can always improve a bit. We can always improve a bit, you know. I, I don't think the aim of macrobiotics is to actually to live to 150. It's more to have a big life. A, a big life not from a point of view of longevity, but to really appreciate life, to, to, to have a, a fuller life. Whether we live more or not, maybe it's not so important. If we live more, that's better, you know, but it's more the capacity to enjoy life fully. I, I think that's the, the most important of macrobiotics. It is for me anyway, it is for me. It was a long interview. <laughs> Just one question, yeah. because we, we talked about the chemical uh, effort of the meals yeah. to the body. What happens probably if you eat beans, it's good for the oh, kidney, or um, and, and what's the direct impact, I would say? So, from a nutritional point of view, some of the advantages, and there are many, but some of the advantages of eating this, this way are the following. One, when we choose to eat um, complex carbohydrates, uh, which means like grains, beans, vegetables, instead of simple carbohydrates like sugar, um, uh, honey, and simple sugars, if you will, there's a, a very, very big difference in the body. When, when we eat complex carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates have long chains of sugar. They have long chains of carbon and hydrogen, and they break down slowly. So let's say, if we eat um, brown rice, which is a very common example, when we eat brown rice, the sugar of brown rice breaks down slowly, and it's finally absorbed in the intestines. And then, that sugar comes into the bloodstream and we become like a marathon runner. We have energy, we steady. Okay? That happens with uh, grains, with beans, with vegetables, etc. If we eat sugar, 
it's completely different. So let's say from a, from a nutritional point of view, all carbohydrates end up as glucose on the, on, the, on the blood, all. So if we eat brown rice, if we eat sugar, or if we eat potatoes, the end result is glucose, but it gets there in a different way. If we eat sugar, for instance, when we eat sugar, which has very small molecules, and so sugar is a monosaccharide, the, the scientific name for sugar is saccharose, saccharoses, I'm sorry, in English. So, and that's a, a, a monosaccharide, there's a, only one molecule, so when we eat sugar, blood sugar goes up right away. You know? As soon as we eat it, blood sugar goes up. When blood sugar goes up right away, um, the pancreas detects that sugar, the blood sugar is too up and secretes insulin. When it secretes insulin, blood sugar comes down very, very quickly. And what insulin does is actually allows the sugar to come down on the blood and it opens up the cells so the sugar is absorbed on the cells and we have energy. When we do this all the time, we have a huge spike of sugar, a huge spike of sugar a huge production of insulin, and like on the long run, on the long run, diabetes is a very strong possibility. On the long run, obesity is a very strong possibility. And as this is happening all the time also, the cells may become, the cells may adapt to the insulin, they develop what you call insulin resistance, and, and people eat people sugar, the sugar is not absorbed, it turns into fat, and people not only become fat, but they start, they start to develop fat around the organs, which is very bad for the health. So there's a very, very big difference between eating like complex carbohydrates or to eat um, simple carbohydrates. From a point of view of protein, for instance, if we eat animal quality protein, animal quality, so in protein we have, uh, protein is, is made out of, um, amino acids. So uh, the smallest constituent of protein is amino acids. And what people say, which is true, is that animal protein has all the essential amino acids and vegetable quality protein does not have all the essential amino acids. That is true. Okay. But if we eat grains and beans, if we eat grains and seeds, automatically we have all the essential amino acids even if we don't eat those foods on the same meal. So, but when we eat meat, yes, meat is complete protein, but meat, first of all, very much damages the intestines, uh, very much damages the kidneys, very much damages the liver, because the byproducts of the meat need to be uh, filtered by these organs, and on the um, on this process of filtration, on this process of decomposing protein, we, we, we create a lot of waste products. So animal food, yes, gives us complete protein, but it creates a lot of waste. Okay? And, it and also animal food comes with saturated fat. Saturated fat clogs our veins, clogs our arteries. Uh, saturated fat is the main cause of heart disease. When we eat vegetable quality protein, we have complete protein when we combine, combine like grains and beans, as a, but then we have not saturated fat, we have unsaturated fat, and we don't have all this, um, all this waste being created. So it's much better to get protein out of vegetable quality food than animal quality food. 
Same is we eat animal food, we have saturated fat. When we have animal quality food, we don't eat that kind of fat. So from a nutritional point of view, it's much better to eat a plant-based diet uh, with grains and vegetables and beans at the center of the diet. This is okay? I think this is what we wanted, right? Yeah, I think, I think this part was important, actually. Yeah. Nice. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Shun. <laughs>